story is itself very interesting. I don't think I've ever uh, taught this story. So I thought I should give it a try. You know, it's a real story. It's not like other things uh, that you read that are terse or uh, elliptical. This is like a story. And the story begins, let's go through the psukim. We'll go through all the psukim and some of the rashi. But they say dina. Okay, um, you know that ya- Yaakov had four wives, so it may be for that reason that she's given um, her yichas is to her mother, Dina, whereas usually the yichas is to the father. Rashi, however, Rashi says, Velobat Yaakov, El al but because she went out, she did something wrong. She acted in an improper manner. So she's uh, called the daughter of Le'ah. Even she, Le'ah, tended to go out when she shouldn't go out. And that's Shene'ema. Uh, there's a pasuk that Rashi references. She went out to greet him. Uh, and about Leah it is said like mother like daughter well, I guess you could say like father like son like, like mother like daughter so, so Rashi Rashi sort of gives us the impression at the opening of this Pasuk even though the Pasuk doesn't necessarily have to be interpreted that way Rashi gives us the impression that there was something wrong with Dina. She was going out when she shouldn't go out, and she was hanging around where she shouldn't be hanging around. Right? But the end of the Pasuk says that when she went out, she went out with the girls. She went out with the other girls. So in any event, uh, she becomes a kind of a dubious personality. It's not perfectly clear that she's as she should be. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't, right? It's not, it's not perfectly clear. So, Pasuk Bet. That's his name. The name of, uh, it's also the name of the city, right? I guess, you know, there are other places where cities are named after people. You know, you have a son and you build a city in his honor. Yishchem ben Chamor, ha-chivi. Chivi means he was not, uh, he was a Canaanite. He wasn't one of the family of Jews, even in the most extended manner that you could call it, he was not. Nesi Haaretz, he was a prince in the land. Vayikachota, vayishkavota, vayyaaneha. So they're like, uh, like three verbs. Vaikachota, he took her. Now that likuchin is also a verb in biblical Hebrew that's used to describe marriage, like a more permanent kind of relationship. But here it doesn't seem to be that. It could be that vaikachota means literally, he just took her someplace. He took her to a place. Vaikachota, vaishkavota, he slept with her. 
and he uh, imp uh, oppressed her, he tortured her. And so Rashi, explaining these different verbs, he says, he slept with her in a normal fashion, and in an unnormal or not such a normal uh, manner. So again, this is the story. These two psukim tell us the story about Dina, and they sort of, with Rashi, accuse Dina of being a little too liberal, and accuse Shechem as being, you know, uh, uh, not simply a person who, who acted according to his desires, but who was a bad guy, right? By Ya'aneha, uh, sort of leaves the impression that he was, that he did things that he should not have done. But then it says, in the Romeo and Juliet manner, Vatigdbak nafsho bedina. Tidbak, the word tidbak is usually translated as cleave, to, which I guess means very close, cleaving. I mean, it's not a word that I would ever use probably in regular conversation. But it's a word that describes the idea of dvekut as the Litvaks would say it. You know, the Rambam. The Rambam says, you should cleave to God. You should cleave to God. Isn't cleaving wood splitting it apart? Pulling it apart? Splits, cleaving I hope wood. not. Then I'm in trouble, right? Yeah. The whole yeah. I said has <laughs> got to be canceled. So I've, I refuse to deal with that question. Okay. <laughs> And then it says, Right now, you see, there's this orthographic uh, problem. Uh, usually, Na'ara is spelled with a hey at the end. But you understand that the hey at the end is a vowel. And I don't want to get too much involved with this, but you know that there are consonants and there are vowels. In, in English, for example, every word has consonants and vowels. The vowels are A, E, I, O, U. And the vowels color the pronunciation of the consonants. So every word in English, every word in English, the vowels tell you how to pronounce it. It would be very difficult if you would write English without vowels, even though you could. You could do it if it's a well-known phrase or something. You could leave out the vowels and people would know what you're referring to. Now in Hebrew, in Hebrew of the Bible, the Hebrew of the Sefer Torah that you read in Shul and Shabbat, it's mostly consonants, not too many vowels. But one of the first vowels in Hebrew was the hey at the end of a word. The hey at the end of the word is a vowel sign. It means that the word ends in a vowel and not in a consonant. <laughs> so, again, if you say the word Torah, right, the word Torah, the word Torah ends in a vowel because the consonant at the end of the word is r. That's the consonant, a resh. And how do we pronounce the resh? With a vowel. Uh, for example, <coughs> I know I'm not getting through to you. Uh, 
the name Noah, the name Noah ends in a consonant. It's very easy if you transcribe Hebrew words into English. Noah is N-O-A-H, right? So the H at the end is a consonant. It's a sound. Ch, Noach. But the word Torah doesn't end in a consonant, it ends in a vowel. R-A-H. Torah. Ends in a vowel. So why am I telling you all of this? Because in these two words, these two words, the same word repeated twice, na'ara. Na'ara in Hebrew is usually written with a hey at the end of it, indicating, indicating, yavau. And so usually feminine nouns in Hebrew are blessed with the vowel at the end. Whereas masculine nouns in Hebrew are blessed with a consonant at the end. So how do you say a young man? Na'ar. Right? And what's the, that's a word that ends, if you had to transcribe to English, N-A-A-R. It ends in a consonant. R. And a, a, a female, the female of Na'ar is Na'ara. N-A-A-R. A. So that word ends in a in a vowel. What do you have here in this what? You have words that end in a consonant, but they should end in a vowel. How do I know they should end in a vowel? Because that's how they're vocalized. Vocalized, you know, I don't have any trouble reading it. I read na'ara. Why do I read na'ara? Because there's a kamat sign under the resh. Yes? Now those signs, those signs were invented long after the Sefer Torah was written down by Moshe Rabbeinu. How do I know that? <laughs> because they're not in the Sefer Torah. There are no vowel signs in the Sefer Torah. So that means that they came to be in the world much later than the Sefer Torah came to be in the world. So if the Sefer Torah came into the world like 2,000 years BCE, to, I mean, without being too precise, the vowels came into the word, world in the 7th century CE, which is about at least 2,500 years difference. And so Chazal were able to look at this and they would say, what would they say? Well, they would say, they'd say, well, maybe you could read it both ways. Maybe you could explain it both ways. You explain it as though it's the feminine and explain it as though it's the masculine. Right? That's, what, that's what Chazal would do to this kind of, of a situation. So the posik means, but for some reason the hay is missing in both of these words, which means you could read it which means that Maybe there's a different story. It's not only Dina. It's not only Dina who is beloved of Shechem, but there are all kinds of different people that are beloved of Shechem. Like it's not, there's no, it's not personal. It has nothing to do, it's not Romeo and Juliet. It's, it's like some kind of depraved madman 
who is running around and having relations with everybody in sight. That's what you might say. And he tried to convince her. Right? What, what would he... What he uh, uh, Rashi says, Things that are attractive to the heart. Right? Something romantic. Pasuk Dalit. So, I don't know how it went in those days. There's a lot of material about ancient marriages and marriages in the ancient Near East. Everybody, everybody knows about that. But usually, and until, until much later, marriages were business arrangements, generally. They were, they were supposed to be good for the parties involved. Either there was an exchange of money, as we will see, it was an exchange of property, it was a change of power. All of this had to do with marriage, right? You could see uh, later on in history, right, the, during the Middle Ages, where it's uh, very clear, you know, you have the, the daughter of the king of Spain marries the son of the king of, of Denmark, and, I mean, they didn't know each other. They were, they were all shiduchim. Everything was a shidduch in those, in those days. So, so he, he says to his father, right? He says to his father, We don't know what he means. It would seem that he means Romeo and Juliet, but maybe he means something else. Maybe he means something else. So let's go on. The Yaakov Shema, Shema, so Yaakov heard Kitimei. Kitimei Kitime is a, a, like a word that describes uh, ruining something, ruining some opportunity. Timei says she was no longer a virgin. And therefore, uh, things changed, right? So... Uh, so the other sons of Yaakov were with the flocks in the field, and Yaakov was quiet until they came back. Well, what was he quiet about? So Hamor, the father of Shechem, who's trying to arrange this shidduch now, he goes to Yaakov, and he, he speaks to him. Pasuk Zayin. Uvenei Yaakov ba'o min asadeh. The boys came back from the field, kisham'am, when they heard what was going on. Vayit atzivu ha'anashim vayichar lahem ma'od. They were really annoyed and they, uh, and they uh, got angry. This was a terrible thing done by Israel. Lishkav et Beit Yaakov to sleep with the daughter of a daughter of Yaakov. lo So I want to ask you. I mean, these boys. Like, what were they complaining about? What was it that bothered them? Was it? Did it bother them that there was a relationship with Shem ben Hamor? Or did it bother them that she was no longer a virgin and therefore you know, couldn't be dealt with in, a, in an open market of one kind or another? Now, what was it exactly that they would have preferred? 
We know that when Avram Avinu wanted to find a, a wife for his son Yitzchak, he sent Eliezer from Hebron, around Hebron, right along, along Mamre, sent him to uh, uh, Urkastim, to the family that he left behind to find a wife. Now that was a pretty extreme act. That was a pretty extreme act. And what was the idea of that extreme act that Avram Avinu had? Not to take but note me, cannot. Do not marry a daughter of Canaanites. Why not? Why not marry a daughter of Canaanites? Because even if the daughter of the Canaanite moves into the home of the Jew, right? In this case, Yitzchak. Yitzchak would take a wife who was a Canaanite and she would move into his house and she would have the influence of Abraham and the influence of Yitzchak and the influence of everybody sitting around learning Torah in yeshiva. It's still, she would be problematic because she would probably go to visit her mother from time to time. Or she would go to visit her brothers from time to time. The only solution to that problem was to find a wife for Yitzchak who lived so far away that it was impossible to imagine that she would be able to maintain any connection with her former life. Just would be impossible logistically. Just can't get up in the, in, in Alon Moray and walk to uh, to uh, Ur Kastim and walk to Ur Kastim and then come back two days later after you've uh, seen how things are. Impossible. So that was something that worked. That was how they worked for Yitzchak and something that worked for Yaakov after a fashion. I mean, Yaakov had a little more difficulty. He had to do it himself. He had to go out to Orkastim on his own. He was, uh, he was cheated. He was undermined. But finally, he got out with his wives and he brought them, his wives and his children, back to Eretz Kedan, which I assume we understand now was a very big trip and made it impossible for them to go back to the place that they came from in spite of the fact that they were still connected to idolatry. They, the wives of Yaakov were connected to idolatry. It's only after this story about Dina and Shechem that Yaakov says to his wives, you better get rid of all the idolatry. The time has come to get rid of it. When they left Ur Kastim, they were still kind of uh, part of that culture. They were part of the culture and Lavan was right. Remember Lavan? He was right about what? <laughs> about the Trafim. I mean, he was right about the Trafim. She had them. She had the trafim. Now you can say whatever you want. She may have taken them as Rashi says. She took the trafim to save her, save her father. To save her father from worshiping idolatry. Which seems to be odd. Uh, an odd idea. I mean she could have thrown them away. She could have destroyed them. She didn't have to carry them with her. And then lie about them. And sit on them. And on the, the, the saddle of the camel. Uh, but so all of this I'm telling you by way of introduction. Now the Gemara says, and Rashi quotes, that Yaakov Avinu had daughters. Yaakov Avinu had daughters. What, pray, did Yaakov think he would do with his daughters? Were they just losing, it's a losing gambit? You know, the daughter, those who marry somebody from Canaan, and they'll be gone. That won't be the family. Just like Abraham lost Yishmael, and Yitzchak lost Esav, 
right? They, they, they didn't become part of the family. So, so Yaakov is going to lose daughters. Yaakov is going to lose daughters. Sons and, what? Sons also. Who? His sons also. They, were, they didn't have... Who, Yaakov? Yeah, they didn't have Jewish wives there. In Eretz Israel. True. But right now we're doing... No, absolutely. It's true, we're going to get to it. Three is telling the truth. There was nobody for the sons to marry either. That's what, that's what you say, right? So they had the same... They had the same problem. So when Dina, when whatever happened to Dina, whatever happened to Dina happened, so the, her brothers are angry, and her father is angry. Right? Everybody's angry. The responses, however, of Yaakov and the brothers are different. The responses are different. Now let's look at the at the uh, Chumash. Uh, they're all there. Yaakov is there. The brothers are there. They came back from the field. My son Shechem, he desires, he fell in love with your daughter. So I would like you to give permission to him to marry her, right? Even though he's already slept with her, and even though, as far as we know, she's locked in a room someplace in one of his one of his homes because she doesn't appear, she doesn't appear in the story at all. I mean, you have to notice that that uh, that Dina is just a name; she's not a person, as far as the story is concerned. So he says, uh, so he so Shem comes with a formal request to Yaakov. Let my son marry your daughter. That was his. That was his request. Pasuk tet, ve'titchatnu otanu benotechem, titnu lanu. You will intermarry with us, not just my son. I mean, it's a kind of a strange request. He says, "I want my son to marry your daughter, and further." I want all my daughters, all my sons, to marry your daughters and your sons. That's what, that's what Hamor is saying. So he wants to change the, the, the reality that was established by Abraham and Yitzchak. He, Shechem, says, no longer, we're not going to do that anymore, we're going to intermarry. We'll intermarry. And you will live, dwell here. And I have to assume that this is the deal. Right? That, that Shechem is saying, that, that Hamor is saying to Yaakov Avinu and the brothers, he's saying, look, it's a deal. I want my son to marry your daughter. But that's not what I really want, right? Not what I really want. What I really want is that all of my sons should marry all of your daughters, that all of your daughters should marry all of my sons. What does that mean? It means, well, at the next pasuk, that means we'll do business. We'll do business together. Shechem said, look here, these, these people just came from a foreign land. They seem to be laden with flocks and sheep and money and wives and children. It's a big enterprise. 
this Yaakov Avinu enterprise. What we really want, what we really want is to do business together. That's what it says in the Pasuk. Teshvu we will guarantee that you can live any place, you can do whatever you want, right? Shivu usicharua, shivu, dwell here, sicharua, do business, do business, achazuba, and you will be able to grab onto it, to, to make it yours. You make the land yours. It's like though, though Shechem, I mean, Hamor says, I know what God promised you, and we're going to carry it out. We're going to make it happen when it comes to, when it comes to Eretz Yisrael. And of course, what he's saying is, we're going to benefit, right? We're going to benefit. Because, because if you make money, you'll make money. If you, you develop your, uh, your uh, businesses, so we'll develop with you. So I think that what Hamar was saying was, Lord said, I want my son to marry your daughter. That'll be a sign that we're doing business together. And the business will benefit you, it will benefit us, it'll be, it'll be a great idea. So up pipes the, uh, the, the, the kid. The kid says, and me? Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. You know, you want me to put on tefillin in the morning, you want to go to shul, you want me to daven, you want me to keep Shabbos, whatever you say, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Like Shechem, he's like, you know, he's young and full of energy. So he says, Pasuk Yud Bet, Umatan Vetna. He says, the bride price, right? That was the Minhan. Don't think that I'm looking for a, a, a bargain here just because she's not a betulah. She's not a virgin, so that's, that's less money. No, no, no. I'll pay. I'll pay for the, for the higher price, for the higher amount of, of uh, the, in English, it's called the bride price. Right? Habu'a like ma'od mohar. Mohar is a special word that means bride price, umatan, presents. There were also presents that went along. Words, the bride price went to the father of the bride, and the presents went to the bride. Right? That's how you may find some similarity to what happens today. He says, uh, I'll give you whatever you tell me to do. Again, the same uh, orthographic uh, uh, situation. Just let me marry this girl. So I think Shem and his father Hamor have a very clear idea of what they want, of what they are doing. What they are doing is they're going into business. They're expanding the business with a good partner. And the way you seal the business is by marriage. That seals the business. It has nothing to do with Romeo and Juliet or Juliet and Romeo. Romeo, nothing. Nothing to do with that. It's a strictly a business uh, arrangement. And it may be that this was all you know, like we can't know it, but it could be that this was the idea. At the outset, when he raped her, 
That's why he did it. He wanted, he wanted to make a situation where he would be, he would be the best opportunity that Yaakov could have to marry her off. To marry her off. So in any event, Pasuk Yud Gimel, They responded quietly, hidden, by and they whispered to each other, this is a terrible situation. Look what he did. He says, you can't, we can't allow, that's what they responded, we can't allow our daughter, our sister, sorry, our sister to be married to a man who is not circumcised. This would be a terrible thing for us, a terrible burden for us to bear. Now what is this that they are talking about? What is he talking about? Ashelo Orla. Ashelo Orla. So if you look at the bottom of the page, just these three psukim that relate to Avram Avinu. It's called a Brit. Brit, covenant. Covenant. A covenant is an agreement. You will keep this covenant, this agreement forever. This is the covenant which will be which we will both accept. Right? This is the covenant. Everybody in who is in will be circumcised. And everybody who is not circumcised is not in. That's what that's what the, the Pasuk says. Pasuk Aleph. And you'll circumcise yourselves. You know the Gemara says, it doesn't say exactly where this Orla is found and how, how, what it is you're supposed to do, but, but let's assume we do understand. And it is the way we understand it, that we understand it today, that the circumcision is the circumcision of that particular, that particular organ, and that will be a sign. A sign of what? A sign of us. We have a sign, right? We are the ones who carry around this sign with us wherever we go. And if you have the sign, you're in. And if you don't have the sign, you're not in. Right? And then you should also give this sign to those who are born in your household, not your family exactly, and slaves that you buy, right? You also should circumcise them. And my covenant, my agreement, my arrangement, you'll carry it around with you all the time, and you'll be known, you'll be known as the people of the covenant, the people of this, of this covenant. So if you don't do it, if you're in the family, but you don't do it, then you're liable to the punishment of Kare to be cut, cut, off, cut off in heaven. 
So that means that for Avram Avinu, for Avram Avinu, says to Avram Avinu, look Avram Avinu, not everybody is like you. Not everybody can know the truth. Not everybody has the philosophical advantage that you, Avram Avinu, have. And therefore, it's necessary. With you, it may not be necessary. You, Avram Avinu, was 100 years old when he, when he circumcised himself. <laughs> but with you, it may not be important. But the people who have a less intense relationship with the ideas that you, Avram Avinu, have promoted, like, you know, the people who use the slaves in your household, the people who work for you, the, the people who somehow are around the household, who are with you, but they're not thoughtful in the way you are. They have to sign on to the covenantal agreement. And that's what the Brit Milah is. The Brit Milah, you can ask whatever you want to ask, why you do it to children when they're eight days old and not when they understand more. Those questions are not, are not my issue right now. What it says in the Pesach is, what it says in the Pesach is, you have to do this, Abraham. Not because you have to do it, but because everybody else needs it. Everybody else needs it. You need some way of identifying yourself. You need some way of saying, this is who I am. This is who I belong to. This is who I'm involved with. Right? So that when Yaakov and the brothers said to Hamor, when Yaakov and the brothers came to the Mor, what they say, uh, they said, Ach bezot yeutulanu. I'm sorry. Yudma? Alona Kula Sota Davar Hazela Tate Dakotain Lisha Sherlo Orla Kikherpa Hilano. Because the Pasuk says Abram Avinus, it says your slaves should be circumcised. All the people who are under your influence, all the people who become who become to some extent to some extent uh, uh, acceptors of the Avramavinu ideology and theology, all of those people can be part of the Brit, be part of the Brit. So the brothers say to, to, to Hamor, they say, look, you want, to, you want us to be one, right? You want us to join with each other. But you, and you think that just the marriage of Dina to, to Shechem will do it, but it won't, that's not the deal. That's not our deal. We have a deal. We have an arrangement with the Kaddish Baruch Hu about expanding our, uh, uh, our family. And that arrangement has to do with the Brit. So that's what they say. That's what they say to Shechem and Chamor. And then, Pasuk Tetvav, Ach bezot neot lachem, emtiyu kamonu leimo lachem kol zachar. So we will agree to this arrangement if you, if you circumcise yourself, all of you, if you all circumcise, then we can then mingle together and we will become one family. Pasuk Tet Zayin, V'natanu et b'notenu lachem et b'notechem nikachlonu v'yashavnu itchem v'yitn l'amechad v'ayinu l'amechad This could happen. This could happen so that when Abraham Avinu sent Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak, it's because there was no Amechad. 
There was nobody in the vicinity that he could allow to marry his. So you see Yaakov and, and, the, and the brothers, they say, oh, okay, this will help us out. We'll be able to be Amechad. It's Amechad. We'll be able to intermarry. We'll be able to marry each other. Suddenly the boys will also have somebody to marry because Amechad includes the, the girls as well, the daughters, the daughters as well. Pasuk Yudzayin. And so, you want to be Amechad. You, Shechem and Chamor, you want to be Amechad. You want to be Amechad for whatever reason, for your reasons. Right? You want to make money on the deal. We also want to be Amechad, but our definition of Amechad is not just like the medieval kings, who, you know, the, the Queen of Spain married the King of, of England, in order that they should be able, that, that was like forging an agreement. They had a, uh, it didn't matter about the people. The people were not the concern of the agreement, but according to here, Yaakov and his sons say, well, we could have such an agreement, but you have to meet our standard, which is Himolachem kol zachar, pasuk yudchet, vayitvu divrehem b'nei chamor b'nei shechem ben chamor, amazingly. Chamor, I mean, I guess that circumcision was not unknown in the world. It was not something that, that only Avram Avinu invented. But that they knew about it. They knew about the, There were people who did it. And so Shechem and Chamor said, look, we're going to get rich. We're going to reconquer the world. All we have to do is circumcise ourselves. That's such a big deal. Not such a big, big deal. I remember in Russia, when I was in Russia, we used to circumcise. That people circumcised all day long, adults, all the time. Right? They all, they all ran to, to do this. So they came to the Shahir. The Shahir is the place where you know important things happen in the city. It's always in the in that gate. And then uh, they spoke to the people of Shechem as follows: They are shalem. Either they are they are with us or they are peaceful. Again, you see those verbs? Yeshvu ba'aretz. We will let them live here. They will become merchants. Merchants therein. They'll bring in stuff and take out stuff and we'll make a lot of money. And there's a lot of land. A lot of land that they can say that doesn't bother us. We're very happy about it. And we'll have like a martial plan for marriage. We'll take their girls, they'll, they'll take our girls. Everything will be, will be terrific. He says, but this is their condition. The condition of La Shevetitano. The condition of La Shevetitano means they wanted to live with us. All we have to do is circumcise ourselves. We get everything that they have. 
We're like joint account. Isn't that what it says here? Miknehem. Their, 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 their animals and their possessions and all their, the large animals. They, they all belong to us. We just listen. All we have to do is do this one little thing and then they will dwell with us. So there's a happy ending. Everybody does it. They all had the Brit Milah. And now the new Am Yisrael has been created, which is made up of Yaakov Avinu, his wives, his children, right? As many children as he has. The girls that he had also, which we don't know about, but which, which were there according to Chazal. And Shechem and Hamor, and, uh, and they are also part of the new nation of Israel. However, the story takes a tragic ending. Remember Avram Avinu, the third day is a bad day, it hurts. Shimon Velevi were the sons of. Leah. Leah. Dina was the daughter of Leah. Leah. So they felt the, I mean, he had other, I mean, Leah had other sons, but these guys felt the really badly about what had happened to Dina. They each took a sword. So somehow two guys beat down the whole city. And they killed everybody, everybody in sight. I mean, I don't know how that happened. What? Kol yeah, but how many? But it must have been more than two. No, because they were then killed. The males, not the females. What? They killed the male population, the not the female. Right? Yeah, I guess. That's what it says. I mean, that's what it says. So then, they're not counted in the Kol Zachar. Besides Kol Zachar, they also killed Shechem and Chamor to a good. And then they redeemed Dina. I mean, Dina all this time was hidden away in the house of, in the house of Shechem. Oi, pasuk hazayim, b'nei Yaakov ba'u al achalalim, v'yavozu ha'ir asher timuach otam. And they came after all the death was imposed on the city, and they uh, took the booty, and from the city, which uh, did this terrible thing to their sisters, so they really made a mess out of whatever it was that Shechem had before, didn't have it anymore. Didn't have its money, didn't have its property, didn't have its men. And, and, and the women were, were certainly not uh, treated with respect. Lamet, Vayome Yaakov El I mean, this is like, like the, the crunch of the story, right? The crunch of the story is Vayome Yaakov El Shimon Levi. Yaakov says to his sons, Shimon and Levi, Achartemoti, you made everything muddy. You muddied me, my reputation, Labisheni, to make me stink. Biyoshev Haaretz with the dwellers of the land, Bakinani, Baprizi, the Canaanites and the Prizites, 
they're all going to be against me, Vani, Metein Mispar, and how many are we after all? I mean, you could beat the, you could beat them down when they're all in pain from the circumcision, but how are you going to deal with an army of Canaanites who are, you know, healthy and, and willing to do a sin? And they will get together and they will beat me down and they will destroy us. Wow, that's a pretty powerful statement. I mean, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, but it's pretty, uh, pretty strong. There's no doubt about Yaakov's position. But the brothers, the sons of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi, they said, You mean we should have let uh, uh, left everything as it was, and they made a, a prostitute out of our out of our sister. Can't be standoff between Yaakov Avinu, his son Shimon Levi, which is reflected later on in the parsha Vayechi when Yaakov blesses all of his children. Right against the Shimon Levi, Shimon Levi Achim, Klei Hamas They deal in weapons of destruction of mass destruction, they're not, you know, you know they're not my. Um, so so how, uh, what exactly is going on? So what was Yaakov's position here? What was Yaakov's position? So I would say that Yaakov's position is optimistic. He says, maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work, well, we'll circumcise them. They'll say, why do we do it? And we'll tell them about Abu Rabinu. We'll tell them what Abu Rabinu was thinking about, how he left uh, the house of his father. We'll tell them the story about the, uh, about the idols. And it'll have an effect. Now, there was a tradition in the house of Yaakov that belonged to Avram and to Yitzchak of trying to create Baalei Tshuva. Baalei Tshuva, I mentioned, I mentioned many times, Abu Rabinu felt strongly, and Chazal understood it, that his job was not just to be a philosopher, but his job was to spread the philosophy. So how do you spread the philosophy? You definitely don't spread the philosophy of religion by being a philosopher. That's not what you do. So even though Avram Avinu was a philosopher, what he did was, Chazal say that he put up a, uh, he put up like a, like a drive-in, like a McDonald's kind of drive-in where you give out free food to all the, the travelers and the way back. Then he would say at the end, they would say, do we have to pay? You know, like Chabad. Do we have to pay? So I would say, no, you don't have to pay. You just have to say, Birkat HaMazon. You, you have to say, Bracha. So that's how he did it. That was the method that Chazal understood. So he didn't go and argue with people about whether there's one God or multiplicity of gods or what's reasonable or unreasonable. He just said, make a Bracha. Make a bracha and you know, it'll be good for you. It'll be good for you, it'll be good for us, everybody will understand. That was the tradition of Yaakov Avinu. The tradition of Yaakov Avinu was that Balei Tshuva are real. That's something that you could really do something, you could act within that, that context. That was, that was Yaakov Avinu. So Yaakov Avinu said, circumcision, that's the covenant. That's the agreement. That's how we get together, or we see ourselves as part of an arrangement with our Kodesh Baruch. <clears throat> so maybe it would work. Maybe it worked for the people in for the people in Shechem, right? The brothers were less optimistic. 
they seem to think that this would not be the case. And where did that come from? This lack of, uh, of uh, optimism that was born from children of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. So on the sheet, on the second part of the sheet is a, a section of the Rambam and the Guide to the Perplexed, which you probably have all, all know about, uh, about circumcision. He talks about Brit Milan. This is the, this translation, the Friedlander translation of the Moran Nebuchim into English. The Friedlander translation is generally considered to be less uh, rigorous and well done than the Penis translation, which is the premier English translation of the Moran uh, Nebuchim that's used, that's used today. But this is, on, you can get this online, the Friedlander translation, you can't get it. I have an original. What? I have an original of Friedlander. A what? I have an original edition of Friedlander. So why am I telling everybody that it's no good? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it used to be, before, before Peter's, everybody used the Friedlander edition. And, and you can get it in a paperback. So any event, anyway, this is what this is what the Rambam this is what the Rambam says, and you know you know that that Aristotle, Aristotle that the Rambam seems to have a very high opinion of, you know, quotes him in several places, uh, appreciatively, and the Rambam says that that he doesn't mind the fact that the Rambam, that Aristotle didn't know or wasn't sure about whether God created the world or not. He didn't find that problematic because uh, the Rambam thought that we wouldn't know whether God created the world either if not for the fact that the Torah tells us. So that's how we know. But if you didn't receive the Torah, if you weren't in that fortunate uh, group that received the Torah, which describes Aristotle, then it makes perfect sense that you would say that you don't know if the God created the world or not. It was not self-evident that God created the world. It may be that the world was there all the time, right? And that no one, no one had to create it. That's, that Aristotle could not make a definite claim about. So Aristotle didn't like the sense of touch. You know, we have senses, we can smell, we can hear, we can see, we can touch and feel things. Because he, he said that touch is what brings down our level of being. Because he associated it with, uh, with base desires, right? That touch is a reflection of, of a desire. So food and sex and, you know, those kinds of desires are what brings us down, what lowers us to the level of, of, uh, of a, we'll become like advanced animals instead of being angelic people. So that was Aristotle's position. Now look at what, what the, the Rambam says. The Rambam says in just the first paragraph, as regards circumcision, I think that one of its objects is to limit sexual intercourse and to weaken the organ of generation as far as possible and thus cause man to be moderate. I don't have to read anymore. I don't have to read anymore. So that, that 
according to according to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, it makes a lot of sense that we do circumcision on the eighth day of a child, of the birth of a child, because the uh, the idea of circumcision, according to the Rambam, you could read the rest in your own time. It's very interesting. The idea of the idea of circumcision is to modify behavior. It's to that's what we say. We say Chazal said that uh, that man was created unfinished, and what finishes him? Circumcision. Uh, that seems odd, though, because it would seem that when God creates something, it should be created in a perfect way. But no, Chazal said man was created imperfectly because he was not circumcised. So that circumcision is the act of modifying behavior. It's, it sort of like says that you have to assume uh, a nobler level of, of, uh, of enterprise. So that's why circumcision, in order to assume that noble level of, to let you do that, has to be done to, to children, to babies actually, so that they could grow with, that, with the idea that they are complete, that they are as they should be, and therefore somehow control excess. I know this doesn't always happen, but, uh, but that's, that's the idea that the Rambam says. So that the brothers, the Yaakov's brothers said, okay, Yaakov is the son of Yitzchel, the son of, where, uh, the son of Abraham, where everybody was an adult. Everybody was an adult, but the brothers said, it's not going to work unless the circumcision takes place before they do the, the transgression. Before they, they, they should be circumcised before they rape Dina. But if they rape Dina first as chayot ra'ot, then they're not going to change if they get circumcised afterwards. So this, this point here on the, the birth of the nation of Israel has caused us difficulty throughout history. And that difficulty has to do with gerim has to do with people who join up, who become part of, 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 the, uh, of, the, of the history of Am Yisrael. How early do you do it? How soon do you have to become part of that, of that history? How soon do you have to do whatever it is you're supposed to do? So I think that the story of Dina on the one hand, Shechem, Hamor, Shimon, Levi, and Yaakov, Yaakov are... Uh, uh, so Yaakov didn't really argue. Yaakov didn't say, I mean, I know this is going to be difficult, and I'm not sure that it's going to work, but at least I'm safe. The Canaanites and the Prezites are not going to come and try to destroy me because of the fact that you killed the people, that you killed the people in Shechem. So this idea, this idea that Yaakov was in charge of, right, was difficult for Yaakov to put into into play. This idea he was in charge of was that Am Yisrael had to expand, not only vertically by having children, but also horizontally by allowing people to come in, by making them part of the, part of the enterprise. And it was this question that Yaakov and his sons disagreed about. It may be that the sons disagreed because they wanted to give priority to being sons over being new immigrants into the, into the fold.
But this is the story about Dino and Yaakov and Shimon and Levi and Shem and Chamor, and uh, it sort of it, it ended badly. And yet, and yet somehow, when Yaakov went down to Mitzrayim, Yaakov went down to Mitzrayim. There were only seventy of them, right? Seventy people in the family, which I guess means that they didn't get many additions to the family in uh, and when they were in Canaan in the land of Canaan. But when they left Mitzrayim, when they left Mitzrayim, there were hundreds of thousands of them. So, and plus there was an Erev Rav. Right? What's an Erev Rav? What's the Erev Rav? The Erev Rav are like associate members of the Jewish people. They're there, but they're not really, they're not really there. They still, they still hold on to their... So the Erev Rav were the, the ones that Shimon Levi were afraid of. He said, if you let them in, they're going to just cause you trouble. But there were others who did not cause trouble, who did not cause trouble, were, were, were good. Uh, so so this, this is kind of a problem. You know, it's a problem that, that remains with us. We want to grow horizontally and not just vertically, and there are difficulties in, in how you do that. Okay. Does that show Mashu? No? Okay. Have a good show.